Attention all. Do you have a passion you want to showcase or have a drive to inspire the community? Apply for the Centennial Campus Community Programming Grant today at go.ncsu.edu slash grant for a chance to earn $2,000. The views and opinions expressed during Eye on the Triangle do not represent WKNC or NC State student media. Your dial is currently tuned into Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1 FM HD1. Thanks for listening. Whenever you ask college students what they wish they had learned in high school, most of them are going to talk about something related to finances. Finances are extremely tricky to navigate, and when you're in college, they get even more trickier. That's why I decided to interview Brian Sisma, who was the financial advisor and college unit director at Northwestern Mutual Wealth Management Company. In this interview, he's going to talk about how to navigate college finances, specifically how to deal with topics regarding taxes, credit cards, and student loans. Hi, Mr. Brian Sitzma. Thank you so much for coming here so we can interview for WKNC Radio. So I'm going to go ahead and get started with the interview. So my first question for you is, obviously, you had your own college experience, and I know that you went through some of the issues with dealing about finances, because it can be extremely hard, especially when you're in college. And I feel like the number one place that people struggle is when it comes to budgeting. Oftentimes, like I've, people start to work in college and they get like lost in like how much money they should be saving, how much they should be spending. So what are some things that people should not waste their money on when they're on a college campus? Yeah, it's a great place to start, Janine, and a great question as well. Um, when it comes to college, temptation can be very easy because there's so many things to do with your friends, right? Going out to eat, going to parties, you know, having some kind of get together. Um, when it comes to budgeting, some of the first places to start um, is, is one, giving yourself the opportunity to set some structure, right? Uh, for most college students that one either aren't working uh, or if they are working or are working on somewhat of a part-time capacity because your main focus is school, it's important to determine what are the priorities of things that need to be taken care of and what are the things that are more of wants than needs. Um, inevitably, it is okay to spend some money on things that you probably shouldn't, right? Um, we all might go out to eat that one extra time um, or go to that one bar and, and get a drink with some of our friends. Um, but the biggest piece of advice for any student is the consistency part is the biggest challenge for a lot of folks. Being able to give yourself that moderation effect um, gives you the opportunity that it's, it's okay to treat yourself, right? We're all here, we're all here to have fun and it shouldn't be a problem to spend money. We just need to be a bit more strategic on when we're spending it because we can't be going out to eat every single day um, as well as buying super lavish cars if we're not bringing in any income to actually support it. So moderation is a really big key piece and just being structured uh, and having a game plan of what you feel like you can do and is feasible. And then from there is just developing and living a lifestyle by design that you have each and every day as well. So um, are there any financial like benefits that college students can receive in order for them to not like have to spend as much money on like things like groceries or clothes or something? 
Yeah, so there, there's plenty to go into with college universities, you know, when it comes to, you know, governmental aid programs, grants, um, the opportunity to take out student loans as well. Um, the biggest area for, for a lot of folks to be able to help these pieces, um, and one that's just overall helpful for their careers, even outside of all those opportunities that NC State, right, my alma mater as well, um, but also other universities give, Outside of all of those is really just giving yourself the opportunity to find something that you enjoy doing either on campus or through an internship program. One, because that's going to be great experience for you to learn and also be able to um, see how it is to balance a social life and classes and an internship, which can be difficult. But that really gives you a realistic outlook on what it's going to look like full time once you are past college and people are getting married and starting families there. So outside of the normal college age programs like grants, tuition assistance that most universities have and we help guide our clients to all the time, if you can have the opportunity to work on some sort of part-time capacity, not only is it a great experience, but it's also a way to generate that extra income there too. Mm -hmm. I know we were talking about um, splurging, like going out to eat with your friends, which everyone does, because for me, I feel like it's necessary. It's a good thing to do for yourself. Yeah. For example, um, if somebody made like $150 every like two weeks, how much do you think that they should be spending on like splurging and like taking out time, taking out money for themselves? Yes, it's it's a good point to bring up and, and you're going to hate my answer is that it really is, <laughs> it, it, it depends, right? Um, every person is different. One, one golden rule we use for a lot of our clients that people find pretty helpful and it has kind of a ring to it. It's, it's the 60-20-20 rule is that especially if you're spending a lot of your dollars on bills and you're, you're the main breadwinner taking care of those, 60% of your dollars are inevitably going to have to go to things that you have to spend money on that are non-negotiables, rent, food, gas, you know, what is needed for Janine and any other person to survive, 20% of it should be saved, whether that's via a savings account, retirement, investments, just depending on where somebody's at in their path, because you'll certainly want to have an emergency fund set up prior to putting in lots of money towards, you know, things like stocks and bonds and mutual funds. But then also 20% of that money, we call it fund money that it doesn't have a job title, right? Of that 150 bucks that we're bringing in every two weeks, 20% of it, you can typically feel pretty safe that if you're doing what you need to do from a saving side and you're paying your bills, that it's okay not to feel guilty and actually spend that money there too. So you talked about investing. I feel like investing is such a hot topic because people see like how much money you can make from investing. But I also feel like on the flip side, a lot of people don't know how to invest. So what would you say is like a good starting point of like how you should get into investing as a college student? As a college student, some of the best ways that you can get started in the investment world are one, create a feasible goal of something you feel like you can consistently do. One thing we have for a lot of our existing clients, especially ones that are, that are bringing in income, working full-time jobs, which are most people post-graduation, um, one of the biggest things that we advocate for is that you're going to want to set up monthly savings strategies, almost like a bill per se. And there's a lot of psychology 
behind it, because if you're consistently saving on a monthly, weekly, or, or whatever frequency basis that we want to use, right, we're getting ourselves the opportunity to save consistently, regardless of where it's invested in, because each and every person has a different risk tolerance. I myself am a relatively risky investor. I love putting a ton of my money in the stock market, but for others, they might value a little bit more safe assets out there. So some of the best pieces you can do are one, create a structure, right, of a monthly saving strategy, but also make sure you are fully informed. Janine, Google is a blessing into the curse, <laughs> right? You can find anything you want on Google, but Google will also tell you that you have cancer or whatever else that you might ask of it, uh, depending on what question and how you ask it there too. It's the same thing with finances is that everybody's going to have an opinion about finances. Um, what I advocate for folks is that you'll, you'll typically want to find somebody trusted to talk about with it. Have multiple people to speak about, even if it's your friends, a financial advisor, a family member that's trusted that you feel like knows a ton about finances and get their opinion. Because each and every person's situation is entirely different. Um, it's almost like a puzzle. Each and every puzzle has different pieces and no puzzle is the same. So getting the opportunity to really learn from all these opinions, but not take these opinions and do everything they say, sometimes they might be right, but also you've got to judge it based off of your own personal situation and therefore take your informed decision after you've been educated and use that informed decision to make a decision of where you invest. Um, when did you start investing? That's a great question. And I'm going to thank, I'm going to thank Brian Seatsmith Sr. for that one. So if he gets a chance to, to listen or watch this at all, shout out to Brian Seatsmith Sr. Um, my father had my brother and I with our first investment account. I mean, we had to be maybe six years old, um, very, very early in our careers. And inside of our household, money was not a taboo topic, especially in this world for a lot of families. One of the biggest hurdles out there is that a lot of families just aren't having this open dialogue when it comes to money. It can feel like a taboo topic. And, and I, in being in the wealth management space, are, are hoping that we can kind of get out of that over time. But my father did a really great job as, as, as kids, really helping my brother and I understand the value of the dollar and the value of putting dollars away, especially when it comes to compound interest. Because when it comes to investing, your best friend is time. The longer you have the opportunity to put dollars away, the more you're going to have an opportunity to see those dollars grow and compound as you save. So we were started, I mean, it had to be yeah, somewhere between age six to 10, uh, but always had us consistently talking about money uh, and understanding how it works so that by the time we had the opportunity to pay our own bills and make our own decisions, we were light years ahead of, of most of the people in our peer space um, when we're able to share that wealth and that knowledge with others around us that perhaps hadn't got that coaching and education when they were kids as well. So when your father started investing for you, now obviously times have changed from when like 10 years ago or in the past, but um, it, are there specific sites that you need to go to in order to like put your money down to invest? Is there an app that you need to log on to? Like what are the specific places where people can put money to invest? Yeah, that's, that's a fun one because there's a ton out there, right? Um, a lot of the ones that most people are recognized these days and can be really, really user-friendly sites uh, can be like a Robinhood, a SoFi, 
an acorn is out there, especially from, from the ease of use for individual stock investors. Um, I personally, my father um, had us utilize a site called E-Trade, but there's a ton of other ones out there. There's Vanguard, there's Fidelity, there's JP Morgan. There's a great selection and, and no firm is really better or worse than the other, right? They all have their pros and their cons. Um, but getting the opportunity to find one, maybe two, and really just giving yourself the opportunity to learn and, and really understand the technology is critical. Uh, because then from there, you can determine, okay, is this one really the one for me? Or should I go try a different one? Because this one perhaps doesn't either have you know, the offerings that I may be looking for as an investor or maybe just isn't the type of user friendliness um, that I might have liked there as well. But E-Trade was one of the first ones that I used, but that, that one's, it, it's a little bit older. Uh, it's been <laughs> around for quite some time. <laughs> Which one do you currently use? If you don't mind me asking. Of course. I use a combination of two. I still use E-Trade. Um, I like their platform, um, you know, being you know, pretty deep into the wealth management space as well. I like the very, very specific data uh, that E-Trade gives individual investors, uh, but also my team. So we operate our independent financial planning practice through Northwestern Mutual. So we leverage their platforms as well. Uh, and they're an over $500 billion company in the Fortune 100. It's very, very user-friendly sites. And we really like how they use them because they don't have any proprietary product. Um, they don't have a Northwestern Mutual Fund or stock. They entirely use other companies just through Northwestern Mutual's platform. So I've invested in companies like American Funds, JP Morgan, Fidelity, to name a few. But those are the two areas, uh, Northwestern Mutual's side and E-Trade still for me. Do you think- A little, a little old school. <laughs> Which is okay. Um, do you think that college students should also use like Northwestern Mutual and E-Trade like you've talked about with the combination? Yeah, so I, I shy away from any specific blanket recommendation of like, hey, you have to use this side or you have to use this company, right? Because my experience might entirely be different than a college student's, and that is totally okay. If a college student feels much more familiar and comfortable with something like Robinhood um, or TD Ameritrade or Acorn, hey, that's totally okay. My encouragement is that don't let the technology scare you away something like E-Trade can be a little bit intensive for the eyes, right? Um, so for some folks, that wouldn't always be the first place I'd recommend. It tends to be a little bit more institutionalized investors that have been around for a while. Northwestern Mutual's platform is a pretty clean platform there too. But overall, my recommendation for young folks is give yourself the opportunity to start. Start with one and see how it feels. And then from there, you can certainly move on to other websites there as well. Mm -hmm. Would Robinhood be like the easiest one for like visual stuff? Robinhood tends to be very user-friendly. So as college students, um, we obviously have to pay tuition and some people have to pay that with student loans. So I know that with student loans, like over time, um, you get interest and the interest increases like how much you have to pay. Got so it. No, and I feel like a lot of people are unaware of about like the interest and how much they need to pay and like how much it's going to affect their payment over time. So if you could just shed some clarity and light on that issue, that would be very helpful. Of course. There are two key words when it comes to interest, when it comes to student loans. And those two words are subsidized and unsubsidized. Subsidized student loans, whether they're private 
loans or federal loans through the government um, means that there is no interest accruing while you're in college. This can be a great vehicle for folks, especially if you're going to be in school for four years, eight years, for folks that are being physicians out there, you're going to be in school till you're 30, <laughs> right? Um, it's a great way to be able to have those student loans, but also not be too concerned about the interest building. Unsubsidized loans mean that interest rates are accruing while you are in college. So a big part of that process is you're selecting what types of student loans is ideally if we can, we'd like to have the opportunity to use subsidized student loans um, because interest rates right now um, can be pretty high when it comes to private student loans specifically. Federal student loans tend to have a little bit lower interest rates, at least from what our team has seen. But the biggest piece to note is that interest isn't necessarily always a problem. For somebody in college, to have the opportunity to have a student loan that only has two or three percent interest can be a great vehicle to leverage versus a student loan that has 12 percent interest um, because eventually if we end up able to take two percent down for a student loan but let's just say we start investing at some point and we return a rate of return of seven to eight percent well, technically you made 6% on your own money by just not overpaying on your student loans too quickly. Student loans can be a very emotional thing to talk about for folks, right? Um, for most people, it's, hey, I really wanna get rid of these student loans as quickly as we can. And really us as advisors try to coach folks is that debt isn't always bad. There are certain types of bad debt out there like credit cards, like some forms of car notes, but student loans aren't always a bad debt to have, especially if you have a reasonable interest rate. Um, ideally that's subsidized during school and then trying to keep those student rates of low, late rates low post-school. And even if they are higher, there's a lot of different refinancing programs out there that can help lower the student loan interest rates as well. And what are like the best student loan companies to have your student loan with? Because I know there's multiple, like there's Naviant and there's a couple of others. So which one do you think is like the best when it comes to helping students like actually get through their debt? Yeah, that's a great question. And admittedly, I'm not the best person to answer it. And the reason why <laughs> I say that is I didn't have student loans while I was in college. My parents did a really, really great job. Uh, saving for us and it paid for out-of-state tuition for, for myself, which was huge, um, giving me the opportunity to really focus on saving for my own goals outside of tackling student loans post-college. Um, I would refer a lot of the times uh, to the type of interest, or excuse me, the type of loan versus the actual company. Um, with so many companies changing all the time, the company isn't necessarily as relevant as whether or not it is a federal student loan or a private student loan, because typically those federal student loans are going to have lower interest rates. Uh, but there's a ton of different companies out there. Uh, Sally Mae, Fannie Mae, there, there, there's a ton of different ones to look through. There's no better or worse one. It's just a matter of really what those interest rates look like and um, how, these how these student loans are designed for somebody while they're in college, but also post-college as well. So you said that credit card debt is like one of like the worst debts to have. And I feel like a lot of people in college, like they get into that very, very easily. So I want you to, first of all, define like what a debit and a credit card is. Yeah. So, so a debit card is essentially an extension of your bank account. Meaning that let's just say, Janine, you have a thousand dollars in your bank account. Well, you can use your debit card 
to take the money out of your bank account without actually having to you know, physically go to the bank and pull out you know those ugly bills right to have in your wallet. Um, a credit card is a way for you to leverage money that you actually don't have for you to pay off within a certain period of time. So for example, um, let's just say somebody's at Wells Fargo and they have a credit card with a $2,000 limit. Well, that means every month they can spend up to $2,000 on the credit card. And the credit card company is going to give them the opportunity that, hey, if you can pay off the $2,000 by the end of the month, you're not going to accrue any interest. So okay. that's the big difference between debit and credit cards, the ability to leverage cash because credit cards give you the opportunity to spend money that you might not even actually have in your bank account there as well. So what happens if you spend the money? Like if I have a 2000 limit, like you said, and I spent like 4,000, what happens? Like, how do I pay the rest of that money back? Well, when it comes to the $4,000 piece, you can't go over the limits. Okay. You, you, you would have to either open up a new credit card or utilize what's called a cash transfer program through some credit card companies um, where you can get some types of loans um, in which you can use to pay down those credit cards. The biggest challenge is if you are approaching those interest rates and if you can't pay the cash within a month. Okay. So one of the biggest misconceptions out there um, are folks that see their credit card limit and feel like if they just make the minimum payments or just pay off like $100 a month, that they're not going to build any credit or excuse me, any credit card interest. And that is not the case. And it, and it is not a good rumor to have out there. And there's a lot of people that believe that is, that is how you pay down credit cards. To be clear, that is not how you pay down credit cards at all. The way you pay down credit cards is giving yourself the opportunity to pay off that full balance by the end of the month to not build interest. Because if you leave that balance on for the next month and just make minimum payments, Typically, credit cards have anywhere between 20 to 25% interest rates, which can, get, which can get you in a very, very tough spot to be able to get out of that debt hole as well. Wow, that is a very high interest rate. Oh, wow. Absolutely. So, for um, credit cards and debit cards. So I know the credit card should be used more for savings or spending. Which one? For credit cards specifically, they are not a method of saving. Okay. Credit cards are, are really a way for one, for you to build credit to eventually take on loans, i.e. if you were to buy a car or a house where you can't necessarily pay it all off in cash, mm -hmm. a credit card is a really, really great way to build credit so that your interest rates are really, really low on other types of loans. Okay. So they are specifically leveraged for, for cash. Okay, so people should not be saving with like credit cards or not at all. Okay, good. Because I feel like that's like a common misconception that I've heard. So with your savings and your checkings, how much money should you be saving every single month? So you're going to love this phrase, but it is a all it depends, right? One of the biggest areas of opportunity for students is being able to give yourself a cushion especially as you're getting through school, but also as you're getting ready to go into the full workforce. One of the big terms we use for a lot of our clients is keeping at least three to six months worth of your date of your monthly expenses inside of a savings account, i.e. as your rainy day fund. If you have a flat tire or you have a major medical emergency, you've got a bucket of cash that is available 
for you to be able to pull at any given time. Now for college students, that one can be a little bit of a harder number to conjure because your parents might be helping you pay a lot of bills. So your bills aren't as high as if you were working full time. A good place to start is if you were a college student getting started, no matter if the dollars are $1 or $10,000 is the best place to start. But ideally a nice cushion of at least a couple thousand dollars while you're in college is a great place to go in which you can start building towards the three to six months worth of expenses as you're bringing in income at the door. What are the best places to open a bank account for college students? So I'm only going to speak to NC State um, because uh, that there's so many banks. There are so many and there's so many great banks and there's not really a ton of bad banks out there, if any. Um, a lot of the local ones around here, there is a Wells Fargo on Hillsborough Street. Um, that's where I personally bank. They do a great job there. First Citizens Bank's a very popular one. JP Morgan is another one as well. Um, the biggest piece that students are going to want to intake is getting the opportunity to build a relationship with their bank and build that relationship early, because this may be a bank that you're working with for the next 80 years of your life. Some people never change banks. So finding somewhere local, ideally that you can also physically visit is very, very helpful, especially from these, uh, there's a lot of online banks these days that can be very, very helpful. It just might be a little bit harder to get in touch with somebody versus a physical bank where you can find somebody to help you very, very quickly if you have a lot of questions. So I know we talked about um, checkings and savings accounts earlier. Can you just quickly define to us like what is a checkings account and then what is a savings account and how they should be used? So both have great usages and everybody's gonna have a different opinion when it comes to those. So checking accounts are a bank account that does not build any interest. Savings accounts are another type of bank account that does inevitably build interest. Each and every bank is gonna have different types of fees related to it and also how the accounts work. But most professionals have these accounts separated intentionally to have two different usages. There's a lot of psychology behind separating where your money is. You're not going to want to combine your emergency fund with your day-to-day -day spending account because then you end up overspending on accident one month and then now you no longer have an emergency fund to begin with. So a lot of clients of ours and a lot of people out there are using their checking accounts as their normal revolving door of being able to spend money uh, because a lot of banks also have certain uh, purchasing limits for savings accounts where you may be only able to do 10 or 15 purchases before they'll charge some kind of fee. A savings account is typically used as a way to keep that rainy day emergency fund because it does build some interest, but also that separation of accounts makes it much harder for us mentally as humans to want to pull from your savings because that account is now labeled as your emergency fund. Your checking account is labeled as your spending account. So I know for savings account, that was where like you have like your high yield interest. So could you explain to people what exactly is like a high yield interest um, savings account? So to answer that question, I'm going to answer the question of what a savings account is not. A savings account is not meant to be there as an account that is actively outpacing inflation, getting very, very large rates of returns. There's other types of accounts out there that are designed for that. What a high yield savings account or even just a regular savings account is, is just giving yourself the opportunity to build any kind of interest inside of a savings account. 
There are certain types of high yield savings accounts. I think the highest one I've seen is like 1.5%. Um, inflation is over 2% and this year is over actually 5% though. Really what the purpose of your savings account is, is to have that account available, not necessarily to grow a ton of your wealth, but if that you really, really need cash, Janine, that you can pull it immediately. All these other types of accounts that you can leverage interest have some more restrictions in regards to how quickly you can pull the money out, which is how you're able to build interest in the first place. Okay. So I'm going to do a quick recap and you're going to correct me if I'm wrong. So we've talked about um, checking, savings, and then investing. So checkings is where I go if I want to get immediate money to buy something. Like if I go to Chick-fil-A, I would pull out my debit card and it would come from my checkings. You got it. Okay. And then savings is like that emergency rainy day fund. It might have like an interest rate. Like I think I know mine has one of like 0.4 and I think that's because it's online. So that is the emergency fund, the savings account. Correct. And their interest, sorry, not interest. Um, when it comes to investing, investing is where I take money and I like, I have to figure out how much money I can invest in order to still be able to be financially stable. And that is where I would put towards whatever company through, um, I know, for example, we talk about like E-Trade or Northwestern, and I, that's where I would go to grow my money. And then I would have the paycheck. Correct. And those E-Trade and Northwestern, those are just the companies that hold the accounts okay. in which you could go out and you could buy like an Apple stock or a Microsoft stock uh, or a Fidelity mutual fund. E-Trade and Northwestern are just areas for you to actually be able to hold your funds to go out and buy those stocks. And when I get my paycheck, I know you talk about the 60-20-20 rule. So yeah. when I get my paycheck, 60% should be going to where, 20% where, and the other 20% where, just to reiterate so people know. Of course, 60% is typically what's needed for most fixed household expenses. So that's the absolute necessities. So it goes... Okay. Sorry. So it goes to your checkings. Correct. All the money, ideally, from your paycheck is going to come to your checking originally. It's okay. just a matter of what you do with it once it arrives. Okay. We typically recommend that you pay yourself first. So if you're going to have that 20% that you're going to save, before you start paying a bunch of bills, you should take that 20% and automatically put it into a different account, whether it's your savings account, whether it's investing take it out of there right away so that you never even see the cash come in. Okay. Very, very critical. And then the other 20% was fun money, right? Going out to eat, having fun with friends. Sure. All the money originally comes into checking. It's just a matter of taking that 20% and moving it to another account to pay yourself there as well. So one of the hardest things, like specifically when it comes to splurging, I feel like people over splurge and they take like 40, 50% when they should only be taking 20%. And I think that's because it's hard to keep track of like your finances. So what do you think it's the best way to keep a track of like the monthly spendings that you make and the different areas that you spend money on? Yeah, that, that is a great question. And the best way to answer that question is to come up with a written plan. There, is a, there are a ton of studies out there, especially when it comes to finances, that the people that are most likely to have their financial goals work are the ones that write them down and actively review them. What a lot of families do is they will write down a budget of what they are going to spend money on and then never look at it again. There's a ton of people out there, especially some of the most successful people in the world, 
any plan needs to be created, but then also reviewed, right? Review, changes happen, life changes, you have a child and another expense comes on the balance sheet, right? Um, the ideal standpoint is you're going to want to write down that budget, but also give yourself wiggle room that, hey, there's going to be months where stuff that we don't know about happens, right? We call those the unexpected dollars. And that almost even should be a line item on your overall income of what's coming in the door so that that's a part of your overall spending strategy. It's okay to go over and spend a little bit more, you know, for one month or maybe two months where the problem comes in is if it's a consistent thing and we're not paying ourselves or saving anything. Um, because most humans, what ends up happening is they get to the end of the month and they say, well, if I have anything left over, I'll save X amount of dollars. Well, something almost happens every single month. And then this person will literally never save dollars for the next 40 or 50 years of their life. And it's natural. It's not easy and it's not normal and natural to save. So paying yourself from that budget originally, especially as you're getting that paycheck is critical so that when you make that spending sheet, even if you need to go over for a month or two, well, you've already saved the money that you need to, to give yourself that wiggle room or two. But creating that written plan is critical. So I know we talked about bills. And I know one of the things that um, every human has to pay is taxes, but um, I want you to talk about specifically what is taxes. So there's a ton of types of taxes out there. Wow, I there, the, the, the one that really for most folks to interpret and to understand is how their income is taxed. Janine, I've got some bad news for you. Um, when, when you start working full time, they're going to tax you a lot of your money and you might get that first job and you're making $60,000 and you're like, Hey, Brian, why am I not making $5,000 a month? Right. That's 60,000 divided by 12. Well, a good portion of your $5,000 is going to be taxed. So after taxes and contributions to your medical insurance and benefits, of that 60,000, you might only end up bringing in 32 or 3,300 a month. So we've lost $1,700 a month to either taxes or benefits. So for most folks, one of the, the first things that you can look into when it comes to taxes is understanding how federal and how state income taxes work. Um, because you should project that a good bit of your paychecks are going to be going back to the federal government in which they used to either fund um, new properties, new types of, of skills for the community. That's where a lot of your tax money is going there too. But understanding that that salary amount that you see on the sheet is not actually what you're going to be bringing in the door there too. So when you apply for a job and they have like the 60000 a year is how much you're going to make. That's not how much you're actually going to make. That is, that is legally how much you're going to make, but that's not how much you're actually going to make into your bank account. Correct. Okay, that is good to know. <laughs> okay, so um, with taxes, I know you talked about like federal and state taxes. Sure. Can you explain like the difference and specifically like where that actually would play out? Because I know we have taxes that like are on when you buy things and then you talk about, like your income tax. So could you talk more about that? Yeah, so there's, we, we could go and talk all day long when it comes to taxes because um, there's a, t- and it seems like, you know, for most people, right, everything's taxed, right? Uh, and there's some truth to that because there's a lot of stuff that is taxed out there. So I'll focus in on much more of how your income is taxed specifically. 
So federal income taxes, everybody has to pay. It does not matter what state that you live in that is set up by the federal government of the United States in which you have to pay a certain percentage of your salary every single year back to the federal government in the form of taxes. State income taxes are dependent on the state. Each state is able to change the amount of state income tax that they have. I believe North Carolina's, is, uh, I believe it's like 5.25%, but I believe last year was 5.4%. There are some states that don't have state income tax, i.e. like Texas, like Florida. So it's good to know how your income is taxed because just because your state income tax is not there, well, your property taxes might be higher or your um, food taxes might be higher. There might be something else that's making up for that state income tax not being there. But from an income standpoint, the difference is federal government's taxes, everybody has to pay. State income taxes, every state is different. And also some states don't have state income tax. So when should you know like when you start paying taxes? You start paying taxes from the moment you start making money. Even if it is $1 all the way up to a million billion, we could go all day long when it comes to those. So if you're bringing in any form of income, typically that form of income is going to have to be taxed. Even if like you're working. So for example, like I work a part-time job at WKNC mm -hmm. where I still have to pay taxes off of my WKNC money. <laughs> So your WKNC money is actually being taxed before you even receive it. So you never even see the taxes come out. Oh, you are what's called a W-2 worker, meaning that um, you were employed as a statutory employee through WKNC. They are pulling your taxes for you so that you don't have to go out and go on the online website to North Carolina and pay the taxes on your own. Okay. So you are paying taxes, albeit at a, at a much smaller scale, working part-time at WKNC, and they're already pulling those taxes for you. Are these off, like, so would that also apply to um, student jobs on campus? Is that how it works for all Correct. students? Any jobs that are bringing in income, you will be taxed on that income. Okay, so if I wasn't, if I was working at like a, another radio station outside of NC State's institution, I would still get taxed the same way before I get my actual paycheck? Correct. There are some forms of income that are non-taxable types of income um, that typically only tends to be for types of employees that are either working for the federal government or working very, very closely with the state, but they are very rare. 99% of professionals are paying taxes from the day they start working, whether it's for a part-time capacity or full-time at most occupations. Okay. So if the taxes are already taken out of our account, because I know like for my mom, she still has to pay, like she still has to submit her income information every single month. So when college students graduate, like, and also when they're in college, like, do we still have to submit that information the way like someone outside of college would have to submit their information? The answer to that question is yes, but it is a, it is a big, it depends because it depends on how your family's structured. So how a lot of families work is that while you're in college, you are typically still a dependent of your parents. So your parents can file your tax return for you in which you don't actually have to do anything as the student. That being said, there are some students that choose to file as an independent tax filer in which you would have to file your own taxes. One great website a lot of do-it-yourselfers like to use is TurboTax. It tends to be a very, very helpful user-friendly area to be able to report your taxes, whether you're a student or in the full-time work field. 
But if you're a dependent of your parents, your parents would actually file your taxes for you. So we're going to switch gears and ask a general question. I'm going to ask a general question. Oh, please do. So what is the best financial advice you got when you were in college? Yeah, that's that's a tough one. The <laughs> best financial advice I got in college. Um, the best financial advice I got in college was to start saving. As simple as that sounds, I remember when I started saving and I didn't start, I got a little bit of a late start in college. My father had done a great job putting away money for us. Um, but I didn't start really saving in college until late junior year, early senior year, my, my own personal money from jobs that I was working. Um, but somebody told me one day, and it was actually my good friend, Josh Powell, if, if he ever gets a chance to, to listen into this and saying, just put away a hundred dollars a month and see how it feels. And to me, putting away a hundred dollars a month seemed like it was the hardest task ever. I wasn't making a whole lot of money. I had a whole lot of expenses, but it forced me mentally to figure out a way to save a hundred bucks a month. And so when we went from saving a hundred bucks a month to now, you know, there are months where my fiance and I save, you know, well into the five digits, if not higher, getting yourself started makes it so that you can take those simple wins. No person has ever gone from saving $0 to saving a hundred thousand dollars a month going from zero to a hundred thousand. That person also likely started from going from zero dollars to a hundred to 200 to 500 and making those slow and monumental increases. That was the best advice somebody could have ever given me. And Josh Powell, if you're out there, I really appreciate you having me do that because <laughs> as hard as it was, and it was really, really hard as a student, it made it so much easily easier mentally to get over that hurdle of finding a way to save. Okay. So you're saying start small. So even if like you're making, I don't know, 150 every two weeks, like even just starting small, it's like, okay, say $50. Even if it's $5 a month, $5. anything, getting started is the hardest thing. It's, it's a good comparison, Janine. The hardest day at the gym is what day? The first day. First day. Cause it is really hard to get in there that first time. Right. It can be a little bit self-conscious, right? Um, you feel out of shape, you feel super tired, but then the second day gets a little bit easier, the third day gets a little bit easier, and then by the time you look up, you're three months in and you're active, right? That first day is really hard. But once you get started when it comes to saving, it's significantly easier to keep going. Thank you so much. You have been a pleasure to interview and you have dropped so much wisdom on us that we are going to keep on using and practicing. Music in this episode has been Newsroom provided by Kevin McLeod. This has been Janini Kekwa for WKNC Radio. Thank you for listening. You can listen to more episodes at wknc.org slash podcast. And you can also tune in every Sunday at 6 p.m. to hear new Eye on the Triangle episodes.